of, of the church to try to make sure that we celebrated the resurrection of the Lord always on a Sunday because Jesus was resurrected on the first day of the week, the scripture says, which is Sunday. Because the, the Sabbath, the last day of the week is Saturday. The first day of the week is, is, uh, is Sunday. And so we set up this system by which uh, we would always celebrate Easter on a certain Sunday in coordination with Passover and, and that type of thing. But, but Jesus actually was crucified on Passover. He, he was raised on the Feast of First Fruits. And the Feast of First Fruits was the feast where they went and they took the first sheave of the harvest out of the field and they brought it and they waved it before the Lord. And that's why the scripture says Jesus, he was the first fruits of God. He was the firstborn. And, and so today we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, but the resurrection is not just a day we celebrate that happened 2,000 some odd years ago. The day of his resurrection, the reality of his resurrection is every day. We live in the resurrection. If you are in Christ you are living in the resurrection. You are living in the power of the resurrection of the risen Savior. And so every day, we should be mindful of that reality of life, of resurrection life. Amen? Today, I'm going to talk to you about the declaration of the resurrection. The declaration of the resurrection. What does the resurrection declare to us? And what it declares to us is very important. And so I want to read some scripture to you. Now I don't have a message guide today for you guys, but uh, for you life group leaders, I'll have a document that I'll send out to you and it'll be downloadable from the website. So just sit back and kind of relax. Don't, don't worry. I'll, uh, I'll get a document to you. And I want you to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. I want you to hear what the Word of the Lord is. Not, not what I have to say, but what God has to say through His Word concerning His resurrected Son, Jesus Christ. The declaration of the resurrection is the declaration of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The resurrection declared Jesus, the Son of God. Now, here in Matthew 27, 46, Jesus is on the cross. Now, before we get to a resurrection, we have to come to the crucifixion. The road to resurrection was through the cross. Paul said, if Christ is not resurrected, if there is no resurrection, we're all men most pitiable. If, if we only have hope in Christ in this life, in this present time, in this present age, then, then forget it. We don't have any hope. A lot of good men have died for a lot of good causes, but only one Man died and was resurrected to eternal life. Even on the day that Jesus hung on the cross and when he was put in that tomb in the day of his resurrection, even when that earthquake happened, you can read about it in Matthew, the signs of his, of his crucifixion, the sign that he was truly the Son of God. The scripture says during those times men came out of their tombs and dead men, men who had been dead, walked the streets of Jerusalem and the Roman soldiers saw these signs and said truly this must be the Son of God. And so lots of things. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead but Lazarus, though he was raised from the dead, Lazarus died again. There was only one person at one time in history who was resurrected 
People had been raised from the dead, but Jesus was not just raised from the dead. He was resurrected, which means he came out of that tomb and death had no power over him any longer. And he is the firstborn of many brethren, the scripture says. And so when we embrace by faith the reality of what Jesus Christ has done, what he has accomplished, that same resurrection life, that same promise of resurrection is ours. Not as a future promise, but as a present reality. Amen? Matthew 27, 46, at about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried about the ninth hour. The ninth hour was the hour in which he gave up his spirit. He died on the cross, 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And at almost 3 p.m. that afternoon, 3 p.m. was the time when the, when the priest would sacrifice the lamb in the temple, signifying the, the Passover lamb. And it was that time when Jesus gave up his life, the scripture says. <clears throat> Excuse me. In about the ninth hour, he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then in Luke's gospel, in Luke 23, 46, it records something else Jesus said about the same time. He said, and crying with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, is what he said in Luke 23, 46, at about the same time. So if we... If we could have been there that day at the cross, and if we could have measured time, because these things happened in a span of time. At about the ninth hour, Jesus cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then in John's gospel, in John 19, it says, it says, when they heard him cry out, they brought him vinegar on a sponge, and he took the vinegar, and when he took the vinegar... In John's gospel, it says, Jesus said, it is finished, and then he breathed his last. His last. Three statements from the cross recorded here, and they all happened in a very short span of time. But, but I want you to understand what was being declared that day on the cross. We're going to the resurrection, but we need to understand what happened on that cross that brought us to resurrection, and what transpired at resurrection and how that transaction of resurrection, how that impacts us today, what promise came out of that and how that promise is yours. It's for your life, for, for you today. And so Jesus, he's hanging on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did Jesus cry out that God had forsaken him? Well, we have to go back to the beginning. We have to go back to the Garden of Eden. In John, in, in, excuse me, in, in Genesis, it talks about God creating Adam. Remember Adam? The man of the dust, the man of the earth. God created Adam. And what happened to Adam? God put Adam in this beautiful garden with Eve. He took Eve out of his side. And what happened? He said, don't eat of that one tree. And what did they do? They ate of that tree. And what happened was man entered into sin. Because of man's unbelief, man in essence rejected God in the garden and man fell. What was the state of man at creation? The scripture says he was created in the image 
of God. And God commanded man to do what? To go and to fill the earth, to take dominion and fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill it with what? Fill it with the very image of God. Fill it with the reality of of God the creator. God put his very breath of life, his very spirit into Adam. But when Adam fell, something happened. God created Adam to have relationship, to have fellowship with man. But when the fall came, when sin entered in, that relationship was broken and a separation came. And God was left with no choice but to forsake man, to separate himself from man. And the scripture says that God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden, put a cherubim there with a big flaming sword and said, you can't come back in. If you try to come back in, it's going to cost you your life. You can't come back and we cannot allow them to eat from the tree of life now. They cannot eat from the tree of life in this fallen condition. Why? Because they had entered into death. Death and life are mutually exclusive. You can't have life if you're in death. And so man became separated from God. God pronounced a sentence upon man. Now fast forward all the way to the cross. Here is Jesus Christ the Son of God. Luke records, in Luke's Gospel, Jesus born of the Virgin Mary. And it records the details of the birth of Jesus. Of what happened when Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And it records a genealogy of Jesus Christ there in Luke's Gospel. And it's the genealogy that's through Mary's lineage. Because the father of Jesus was God, but the mother of Jesus was Mary, flesh and blood. And Mary's genealogy, that genealogy of Jesus, goes all the way back in Luke 3.38. It says this, it goes all the way back to Adam, and it says of Adam, Adam, the son of God. And it traces Jesus all the way back to who? Back to Adam. And when Jesus hung on that cross and he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What Jesus experienced in that moment, what would have been for us a moment, but I want you to know that for Jesus, it was an eternal moment in which he experienced the fullness of God forsaking him. Why? Because God had executed upon Jesus and Jesus willingly took upon himself the judgment that was pronounced upon Adam in the garden. From the time of Adam until the time of Jesus, the grace of God covered humanity. See, we think that God winks at sin, that God overlooks sin. God did not wink at sin. God did not overlook sin, not at all. God meant what he said when he said, if you eat of this tree, you will die. There is a consequence. There is a judgment that must come. There is a separation that will take place. And never again will you be able to come back to this garden into my presence. And man did what what God warned him not to do, and there was the separation. But it didn't mean God stopped loving man because he didn't. And God had a plan even before that fall in the garden that Jesus Christ would be the Lamb of God. Jesus was and is and will always be God's perfect plan to bring man into eternal 
relationship with him. And when Jesus went to that cross, he went to the cross representing the first Adam. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it talks about resurrection. It's called the resurrection chapter. And in that chapter dealing with resurrection, it talks about two Adams. The first Adam, the man of the earth, the man of the dust, and the second Adam, the man, the Lord from heaven. Jesus went to that cross representing all of humanity. He went representing the first Adam, the flesh, the fallen nature that had to be crucified. And in that crucifixion, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus took within himself and upon himself that forsaking that God promised must take place. That separation that we saw take place when, when Adam and Eve were taken out of the garden. But it was greater than just, I can't go back to the garden anymore. There was a separation that took place. A gulf that existed between God and man. That no one could bridge and nothing could bridge except one person. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ. And he experienced that forsaking that separation. Never before had the Son been forsaken by the Father. Never before had there been any measure of separation between Father and Son. But yet on that cross, because Jesus took upon himself the fullness of man's judgment, he took upon himself Adam's judgment. He took upon himself the judgment that was meant for all of humanity, and he experienced that separation. And in that moment of agony, a moment for us, but an eternity for Jesus. In that moment of separation and agony, the greatest agony, I believe, Jesus experienced was not the physical scourging. It was not the shame of the cross. It was the separation of the Father and the Son. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But then we see if we were measuring time and just, just moments of time, because it said about the ninth hour, he cried, this, he cried out this statement. But then his next statement recorded is this. It is finished. It is finished. And then he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Now I want you to see the contrast here, church. In one moment, Jesus, representing fallen humanity, cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But in the next moment, through the grace of God, see, God's grace has never been withdrawn from us. There would have never been a cross but for the grace of God. Humanity would have never come from the garden to Calvary to where we are today apart from the grace of God. And even the picture of Jesus on the cross crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? is a picture of God's grace. For as soon as that separation was realized, the grace of God was there and God went, Jesus went from crying, My God, why have you forsaken me? to uttering the word, Father. And the word Father speaks of what? It speaks of, it speaks of sonship. It speaks of a relationship. Not just my God, but now he is saying Father. 
And in that moment of grace, just like God has done with us and he has demonstrated his grace through Jesus Christ, God has reached out to humanity and he says, come and allow me to be your father. And Jesus cried out and he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. The declaration of the resurrection is the declaration of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Son of God. And Jesus cried out and recognized and had come back to that place where he cried, Father. And the Father received him. Now, let's go on. Acts 13.30. Acts 13.30. The declaration of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Acts 13.30 says, But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. Who are his witnesses to the people? And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm. You are my son, today I have begotten you. I want you to know, you read the second psalm, And the second psalm deals with the resurrected, glorified, ruling and reigning Lord Jesus Christ. And this declaration, Dr. Luke, the the writer of Acts is declaring what happened on that day when, when they were declaring the reality of the resurrected Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord. And he says, it is written, you are my son today I have begotten you. Romans 1, chapter 3 says, Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. Yes, he was born according to the flesh. He lived in a flesh and blood body. But when he walked this earth and when he went to that cross in his flesh, he went there representing the first Adam. He went there representing fallen man to take within himself because Listen, Jesus Christ took upon himself the totality of the nature of Adam except in one respect. He took all of Adam's nature except for his sin. Jesus Christ was the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. There was no sin in him. But other than that, Jesus Christ was 100% human and he was 100% divine. He wasn't 50% human and 50% God. He wasn't half and half. No, listen, he was the God-man. He was all man and he was all God. And in his humanity, he hung on that cross representing Adam, the fallen man, fallen humanity. When he was born, he was born to represent fallen humanity. But when he went into that tomb and when he was resurrected, he was not resurrected as a brand new Adam, as a, as a new and improved old man, old Adam. No, he was resurrected as a new creation. The first Adam was put away. The first Adam was crucified, was buried. And now the last Adam was resurrected. The new creation was resurrected. It's a picture of what happens to us. When you come to faith in Christ, what happens to you? When you identify, 
identify with his crucifixion, when you reckon yourself dead and crucified with Jesus Christ, your old nature, the old man is crucified. And when you are raised, you're not raised in the old made new. You are raised a brand new creation. There is nothing of the old that exists anymore. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, A-double-L, all things have become new. And when Jesus was resurrected, the old Adam was gone and done away with, and the new Adam, the last Adam, was raised up. And the scripture says he became the first fruits of many brethren. So it says concerning his son, Jesus Christ, Romans 1, verse 3, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God, how with power according to the spirit of holiness by what? By the resurrection from the dead. He was declared to be the son of God. How? With power by the resurrection from the dead. He was declared. He was determined. It was already marked out. It was already preordained. He was the son of God. He wasn't just a good man who was raised from the dead. He was raised the son of God, the firstborn of God, the scripture says. For unto which of the angels has he said at any time, thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. The resurrection declares Jesus, the son of God, with power. But the resurrection also declares something else. It declares Jesus Christ, the firstborn among many brethren. Why would the scripture say that? The firstborn among many brethren. That word firstborn, it, it, when we think of firstborn, my firstborn is my oldest child. He was the one born first. But in the scripture, the word firstborn means more than just the position of your birth. It speaks of the preeminence. He is the firstborn of God. In other words, he is preeminent in everything. He's, that's not just his position, but it's his preeminence in all of creation. When Jesus came out of that tomb in resurrection life, in resurrection power, he came out the firstborn of God. He came out preeminent above everything. Nothing transcends. Nothing is above him. His name is above all names. His power is above all powers. His authority is above all authority. How is that? How did that come to be? Because he was resurrected. On this day, I have begotten thee, God said in Psalm 2. You are my son. Today, you are my firstborn, my preeminent one. Not that Jesus came into being there. He didn't. Jesus has no beginning. He has no end. He is the preexistent. I mean, he's God. But Jesus came and he took on humanity, so what? So that there could be a beginning for us. See, we had come to an end. In the garden, when humanity fell, it ended right there. Our relationship with God came to a screeching halt. It was over with. And there was nothing you or I was going to be able to do to come back in. I mean, behave as good as you want. Live as moral a life as you want to live. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. Your good behavior won't get anything for you. 
It's only through Jesus Christ. And when Jesus came, he came so that we could have a new beginning. He was proclaimed today. God proclaimed today I have begotten you. What? Today you are the firstborn. The firstborn of what? The firstborn of many brethren. In other words, you're the first, but you're not the last. When Jesus said it's finished, it wasn't the end. It was the beginning of life for us. Romans or John 12, John chapter 1, verse 12. Here's what John says. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To who? Who did he give the right to become children of God? To as many as received him. He gave the right to become children of God. Do you realize because of what Jesus Christ did, you have today the right to become children of God. Well, how do I become that child of God? You must receive him. You must receive what he did on that cross. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Romans 8.28, here's a promise that I hang on to and I quote all the time. Romans 8.28, some of you probably know it by heart, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. But I want us to read the very next verse, and I want you to see how God ties this promise to resurrection. It says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren. Listen, our hope is not, is not in how well our life goes here. I know I want my life to go well. I want your life to go well. I want you to be able to, to have as trouble-free a life as possible. But so many times we, we hang on to these promises, but we don't see the bigger picture of what God is promising here. I mean, God is saying all things work together for good. Why? Because God has predestined you to be conformed to the image of, your, of His Son. And if you will embrace by faith, the resurrection, if you will embrace by faith Jesus Christ, there is not any force in hell, no force on earth. There's not anything that can stop you. There's nothing that can stand in your way. The scripture says, if God be for us, who can be against us? And I'm telling you what, the reality and the power of the resurrection, it transcends everything. It transcends your bad hair day. It transcends your, your financial trouble. It transcends your car troubles. It transcends the, the issues you're struggling with in your body. It transcends everything. If the enemy can get your eyes off of the reality of the power of resurrection and get them on to everything that's not right in your life and you sit there and you moan and complain and think about how horrible your life is, poor me, poor this, poor that. Listen, you may be in horrible situations. I've been in horrible situations before. And I'm not minimizing that, but I'm saying, listen, there is something that is greater than that. It is the power of resurrection. There is a declaration that the resurrection makes, and that declaration is victory. That declaration is life. There's nothing more final than death. Can you think of anything more final than death? I mean, you know, if your car breaks down, you can still walk to work. You can ride your bike to work. 
I mean, if, if you don't have any money for groceries, go to Shepherd's Heart. They'll give you as much food as you need. But I'll tell you what, honey, when you die, there's not much more final than death, is there? But I'm telling you what, God gave us victory even over the finality of death. Death has no hold over those who have by faith believed in him and received what he has done and the promise that he has made. Not even death, not even the grave, not even hell itself can hold you down or can hold you back. So, so this is the promise of God. He says, listen guys, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Why? Because there is this thing called the power of resurrection. Not an event that I'm going to participate in one day, but it's a reality I live in right now. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Through faith in the resurrected Christ, we become children of God, the scripture says. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. If you want to see the kingdom of heaven, you're not going to get there by trying to keep all the rules and regulations of the law. I know you behave well, I know you're a good man, but good ain't good enough. The problem is your nature. You're still of that old man, Adam. He's come. Jesus said, listen, more or less, I've come to take care of that. If you'll put your faith and your trust in me, you can be born again, and you're not going to be from this earth any longer. You're not going to be born from below, born from beneath anymore, but you will be born from above, and your very nature will change. When you're born again, that's exactly what happens. There is a fundamental change in your nature. And because of that fundamental change in your nature, then everything else should change. I didn't say it would change automatically. You know, we walk around and we want to judge people and we want to condemn people because they don't behave just the way we think they should or they don't dress just the way we think they should or they don't smell just the way we think they should smell. You know, some people are bald. Bald is beautiful. Some people have... You know, gray hair, some people have thin hair, some people have thick hair, some people are short, some people are tall, some people like to, you know, those are all personal preferences. Yeah, some people like to eat a lot. But listen, there's only one thing that makes you acceptable to God, and that's being in Christ Jesus. That's being born again, having your very nature changed. I lose the nature of the old man and I gain the nature of the new man from heaven, Jesus Christ. And that became possible through the resurrection. Because the declaration of the resurrection is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There had to be a firstborn before there could be many who would follow. And he was the firstborn. He is the preeminent one. And when we put our faith in him, now we become his brethren. When we are born again, we become the brethren of Christ, God's firstborn. Firstborn on that day, God raised him up and declared him to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. How? By the resurrection from the dead. Now, Paul says in Romans 8, 11, listen to this, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, if you keep living in that old man, in that old nature, you're going to die. 
But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, how do we do that? By accepting Christ. Romans 8, 9 says, if you are Christ, if you belong to Christ, you are in the Spirit. And we put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, will live for as many as are led by the Spirit of God. These are what? These are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, listen, by which we cry, Abba, Father. Jesus on the cross said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he experienced. See, that's what death is. Death is not the cessation of physical life. Death is the eternal separation from God. And Jesus experienced that death for us in that moment, in that eternal moment. He experienced the fullness of what it means to be forsaken by God. And he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he took upon himself that judgment but then he cried out this. He said, my father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. And now the scripture says that if we by faith receive Jesus Christ, God gives us his very life, his very spirit. And if that spirit, that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, if it lives in me, it will do what? It will strengthen my mortal body. And by that very spirit of resurrection, I am now able to do what? I am now able to cry out, Abba, Father. You know what that means? That means for us there is no more separation. God has brought us back into relationship. We are no longer separated from God. When we come into Christ Jesus, that's why, read your Bible, in the New Testament, it talks about being in Christ. You are the righteousness of God. Where? In Christ. You are seated in heavenly places. Where? In Christ. God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing, Ephesians 1. Where? In Christ. John 14 Jesus said, I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you. And if I go away, I will come back and receive you to myself so that where I go, you may be there also. I know we've traditionally thought of that as speaking of a future event of the second coming. And it can foreshadow that. But I'm telling you what, he was talking to his disciples right then and right there. And when he went into that tomb, when he was crucified, when he was buried, when he came out and resurrected, when he ascended to the Father, he took Many sons to glory. He made a way for us to come into the presence of the Father. And the scripture says, not we will be one day. It says we are seated in heavenly places. You say, Pastor Jeff, how is that possible? I'm seated at Christ Fellowship Church in Taylor, Texas. Yeah, but the Bible says you're seated in heavenly places. Where? In Christ Jesus. Your position, seated with Christ in heavenly places, is more real, I'm going to submit this to you, than you sitting on this pew right here. In God's eyes, you seated with him in heavenly places is more real than you sitting right here on this pew. You know why? Because this, and this, and this, and this, and this body, it's going to pass away. But what we have in Christ... The reality of who we are in Christ and what we have in Christ, it will never, let me say it again, it 
will never pass away. It will never fade away. It is incorruptible. It cannot be touched by the elements of this world. Death has no power over it. The grave has no power over it. The devil has no power over it. Nothing, no one has any power over it. Why? Because it was finished. It was done. When he was raised out of that tomb, he was declared the son of God, the firstborn, the preeminent above everything in the created order. And when you by faith receive Jesus Christ who is the firstborn, who is the preeminent one, you are ushered into that reality. You are seated with him. Your life is in him. Nothing, nothing can touch you. Yeah, but Pastor Jeff, I'm suffering in my body and I got financial trouble. Get your eyes off the temporal things. Trust the Lord. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and all of its righteousness. Jesus is the righteousness of the kingdom. Seek him and all these things will be added to you. I didn't say you'd be the next Bill Gates or the next Michael Dell. But I'm telling you what, God will meet your needs. It might not always be how you want, when you want, and how much you want. But I promise you, honey, David said this, and I'm going to say it with him. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed begging for bread. God knows how to take care of his own. And God has made that possible. How? Through the power of resurrection. The resurrection declares something to us, church. It declared Jesus as the Son of God. It declares that He is the firstborn among many brethren. And He has now invited you to enter into that life. How do you do it? You do it by faith. You do it by faith. And when you enter in now, you also, just like Jesus, are able to say, Abba, Father. In John 20, 17, Jesus the resurrected Christ, the ladies, Mary Magdalene encounters him at the tomb. And it's recorded in John 20, 17, that Jesus said to Mary, Don't touch me. I haven't ascended to my father yet. But go and tell my disciples that I go to my father and your father. And I go to my God and your God. You see, the father is not just the father of Jesus. He is now your father if you are in Christ. He's not just the God of Jesus. He is your God, if you are in Christ. Here's what, here's what Paul says in, or Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why God and Father? Why God and Father? Because he is the God and he is the Father. Because God, Psalm 2, God says, you are my son, today I have begotten you. He was the firstborn, the preeminent one who came out of that tomb. And he, his will, his desire, his purpose has always been to lead many sons to glory. That he would only be the firstborn among many brethren. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy begat us again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, unto an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who by the power of God are guarded through faith. You are guarded through faith for salvation, Peter says, ready to be revealed in the last times. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The declaration of resurrection is the declaration of the sons of God. Only by his resurrection are we able to cry, Abba, Father. 
Only by his resurrection are you able to call him father. Only by the resurrection are you able to call him your God. And it is the power of resurrection that gives that to you and gives that to me and all who will by faith embrace that. For the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that's the cross. That we also be glorified together, that's the resurrection. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That glory is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what God wants to reveal. For the earnest, listen, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. That is the full manifestation of what God has planned and has purposed from the beginning of creation. That the earth would see the, rev, the, the revealing, the manifestation of the sons of God. That's why he told Adam and Eve, go out into the earth, be fruitful and multiply, take dominion. Why? Because he wanted the earth. He wanted the image of the sun to be revealed. And the scripture says, the earth groans. It awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. That is you, that is me, that is all who are in Christ. And that was and is made possible by the resurrection. The resurrection is not a past event. It's not a future event. It is a present reality. It is right now. Your eternal life is not something you're going to get one day when you die. You either have it now or you don't have it now. Jesus Christ isn't going to become real to you one day when you die and see him face to face. Honey, he better be real to you right now. He's either real to you or he's not. You're either in him or you're not in him. And if you are not in Christ, you are not in life. And if you're not in life, what are you? You only got two options, life or death. And if you're not alive, you're dead. If you're dead, you're not alive. And God only recognizes living things. He only deals with living things. And humanity was dead apart from God. And God sent the Son, and the Son brought life and he brought light will you embrace it will you receive it by faith because that's the only way you're going to enter into it i could sit here and try to prove to you all day long why god exists and give you all the evidence of all the reasons why but you can forget that because you can have all the evidence in the world and it all exists but men still don't believe you know why? Because you're going to have to come to a place. And evidence in those things, human reason, can only take you so far. And God will never allow you to come to him based on human reason, based on human physical evidence. You are going to come to a place where you will be required to take a step of faith. That's why the scripture says without faith, it is impossible to please God. And he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We must come to him and believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And the resurrection has made it possible for you and for I to seek him and to find him and to enter into that life. Amen? Now we're going to talk in the next few weeks, we're going to continue to talk about resurrection. 
Because resurrection, remember, it's a present reality. It's not a past event. And, it, and there is a process that takes place. Do you realize that even Jesus in the tomb is a picture of us here in this earth? Do you realize we live in the realm of death? We live in the midst of death. This earth is not about living things. This earth is dead. It's under the curse. We are living in the realm of death. And I'm telling you why. If you don't think God works through resurrection in your life, you got up this morning because of the power of resurrection. You came to this place today because of the power of resurrection. When you feel like you got no more hope to offer, no more hope to embrace, when you feel like you've given it all you give and you can't go on anymore, that thing that gets you up and gets you going, that is resurrection. I'm telling you what, we are surrounded by death. We live in the realm of death, and death will swallow you up if possible. But if you'll catch the revelation that in Christ it has no power over you, it can't swallow you up. It can be all around you. You can be living in a very in a tomb. But I'm telling you what, death has no power over you. And this earth, in a sense, is a tomb. And I'm telling you what, there is a day coming when the revealing of the sons of God will take place, when this tomb will break open and there will be no more death, there will be no more curse, there will be no more destruction, and the revealing of the sons of God will be made manifest. But that, that, we're not waiting for that day for the reality to be in us. The reality is in us. Christ is in you right now. And it's the power of resurrection that raises you every day, that brings you and transcends you and lifts you above death every day. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're in death, but we're not of death. We are of life. We're in darkness, but we're not darkness. We are light, and light should dispel darkness. Amen? Let us pray. If you're here today and you've never embrace Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. You said, Pastor Jeff, I prayed earlier at communion, or, or maybe right now you say, I want to I give my life to Christ. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Is there anybody, anybody, anybody? It's the most important decision you'll ever make to embrace Jesus as your Savior. Let's all stand to our feet. Father, today, this day that we, as the church, celebrate your resurrection. God, we celebrate it. We set it aside as an appointed day. But Father, let us not just celebrate your resurrection on an appointed day, one day out of the year, of the calendar year. But God, let us celebrate resurrection every day because we live in the reality of resurrection every day. It's present with us every moment of every day. That we live, God, the power of resurrection is working in us, is working through us, is working on our behalf. Father God, I pray that you would open our spiritual eyes, that you would open our spiritual ears and open our minds and our hearts to that reality, that truth, that Jesus Christ is not just a historical figure who was resurrected. He is the resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And Father, I thank you that you have given us life through the Son, through the resurrected, glorified Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ. We honor you today, Father. and We honor you, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that because of resurrection, Lord, we, like you, can declare, Father, Father, into your hands, we commend our spirit, we commend our very life. And we thank you, Lord, that we can cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, God, 
and that you embrace us because Jesus made a way where there seems to be no way. There was no way, but now there is. And that way is Jesus Christ. We give you all the glory, all the honor. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said? Now give the Lord a good hand. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. You guys have a very, very blessed day. And uh, go be a light. Take Jesus.